Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello, and welcome to Oddcast number 32. I'm Mark McKee, Managing Editor of the Missouri Review, and the internet has never gone to sleep. It's my pleasure, in whatever moment this is, to introduce the latest poetry finalist for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize, Brian Beatty, and his stellar, haunting work, 47834. Brian Beatty is the author of five poetry collections, Magpies and Crows from Ravina Press in 2021, Borrowed Trouble from Choya Needles, 2019, Dust and Stars, Miniatures, from Choya Needles, 2018, Brazil, Indiana, a folk poem from Kelsey Books in 2017, and Coyotes I Couldn't See, Redbird Chapbooks, 2016. Beatty lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, where he works as an advertising creative. Hobo Radio, a spoken word album of Beatty's poems, featuring original banjo and guitar music by Charlie Parr, was released by Corrector Records in January 2021. The 47834 sequence is called From Brazil, Indiana, and was originally recorded for Hobo Radio. Look for him on Twitter, where he is known as at Brian Beatty MPLS. Stay tuned after the piece to listen to contest editor Bailey Boyd and I marvel over it. But now, Brian Beatty's 47834. <laughs> A jar of fireflies on a shelf abandoned years ago to dust gives this place a barn washed in the blood, a pulsing glow a guy could read by if he was carrying a book. But I brought something else to share out of a different jar. It only tastes like nails going down. There were more bars than churches, more churches than cemeteries, more cemeteries than banks, and a farm or two. Clay and limestone built the town. Everyone in their way was a miner, even the one-armed butcher with his name above the door. He served shaved meat sandwiches by day, sold ground beef to the poor. At night, he drank from a bone cup. The A to Z store's sagging wooden steps and floor creaked under the fat boy's weight as he made his way to the cave of a basement to explore generations of unsold toys buried beneath an entire alphabet of dust. He would hide down there in the dark, teaching clocks to turn backwards using only a look. He sat in the cobwebs like a Buddha. He spoke his own language to no one. Eventually, he saved up enough birthday money to buy himself a rusted electric train engine without a track. Every barn at some point becomes nothing more than a metaphor with a roof and a door straining against its last hinge, like this old farmer bent down to repair a flat truck tire in front of the only world he's ever known. Our small town ain't small enough for him. 
He tips back his hat brim to wipe away sweat before more of it burns or blinds his eyes. Should he still have a wife, I imagine her a remorseful porch song he plays on a banjo as his dog howls obscenities at the moon. Cheeseburgers were only a quarter in that lean-to shack in the gravel lot across the street from the movie theater. Flipping his spatula noon to midnight seven days a week kept Eddie's Tourette's in check. Rumor had it he slept behind the counter to spare his family the swearing and ticks. A bottle of soda from the cooler cost a dime. Eddie had ketchup, mustard, and relish to top your burger, no charge. If you wanted onions, too goddamn bad. The sick girl's skin was as pale as ham beans. She smelled like an old person's kitchen too. When she didn't return to school for fourth grade, nobody would say why. Her family moved away. That night, neighbors burned the empty house to the ground. I've never been able to remember the sick girl's name. The local beauty queen, the one-armed butcher's virgin daughter, sharpened her knives up and down her pageant sash until their blades shone as brightly as the faux diamond grin of her tiara. Her talent for parades drove boys her own age into rivers. At night, grown men slashed each other's tires. No one talked about the hospital behind the hospital. A friend's mother worked there, but all she ever told us was how grateful we should be. She wore that bone-white uniform nurses don't wear anymore with the old-fashioned Red Cross hat and polished patent shoes. We couldn't be grateful enough, she said, measuring out cocktails as if they were her medicine. Underage kids purchase their package liquor on the corner at the House of Spirits. Or that's where we'd hide bottles in our coat pockets. We were chased outside and threatened to no avail. You couldn't tell the future about failure back then. All of us knew better than to abide ghosts. The old drive-in movie outside of town eventually became a church too. Gospel readings squawked from speakers clamped to believers rolled down car windows three nights a week and twice on Sunday mornings. Hymns and mosquitoes flickered across the tattered screen. The wife of the minister, broadcasting his sermons from inside the communion stand, sold buckets of popcorn and soda. That was how they paid for baptizing their converts. Up to my knees in cold creek water is where my journey and my faith end. No prayers begin, no hymns. Swimming is a trick I never learned. The same with holding my breath. Saturday night or Sunday morning, despite a lifetime of practice, I struggle to float. An undertaker in his 20s moved to town with his wife and their brand new baby and silver dog. They made their family home in the upstairs of the funeral chapel where no one had lived in years. 
they drove the hearse everywhere with that dog's shimmering head stuck out the front passenger side window. We just waved and wished them luck. It had been a long time since we felt so ready to die. The tabletop jukeboxes in the cracked vinyl booths of the Blue Bonnet Cafe still played 45s popular back when my mom was a girl. The coffee tasted that old too, but the waitress would heat up your pie before dolloping on fresh ice cream, so I ordered dessert and sat all night, click-clacking through lonely, unfamiliar songs. The latest stranger to ride into town and a well-known local soon to be shamed into leaving for good were comparing fates down at the end of the bar. I kept waiting for them to say something the least bit unfamiliar. Most of the night, like a ghost of the night, IDs dropped from every table in every dark corner. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm here with Bailey Boyd, contest editor, and we are going to talk about what you just listened to, which was 47834 by Brian Beatty. And there are so many different places to begin that I feel like we just need to jump into one of them and it'll lead, it'll lead us everywhere else. With the caveat that we can't go everywhere else because the poem itself is just so rich. And I think the first thing that is striking to me, and it's never not striking, I think the whole poem through is the language that we get. Yes. We've been talking about that in our conversations about this piece, how the language is, is so rich so, so that then we can understand certain things just by just by that rich language, everything is description, but description with, with metaphors so that we get to know not only can we see and feel this place, but also understand it at the same time, which I think um, is one of, one of the very many um, things that are so impressive about this poem and this place that we're, that we're hearing about. It's it, the, that richness, it's a dangerous thing to undertake for a poet because sometimes that richness or the attempt to kind of garner that richness from language means that you serve, that you serve sounds not in conjunction with whatever wisdom or insight you're trying to get across or that you're, that, or you, that you're discovering as a poet. But here, I think that the insight and the, the richness of the language are perfectly wedded. Mm -hmm. It's just so specific and detail-oriented. And for me, this comes across as being extremely compelling, especially at the measured pace at which it's read. It's read in a, in a, in a natural voice, but... 
I mean, I want to say savers, although so many of the things that we come across in this poem are could be uh, categorized as unsavory on some level. Yeah, that's true. But I, I just get the sense, yeah, that richness, like you're saying, kind of it it starts um, and then it it never falters throughout the entire throughout mm-hmm. the entire poem. And so it is almost like I, I keep imagining um, that layer of dust that the that we were t- talking about in this poem, um, the entire alphabet of dust on the toys in the basement. And that's kind of what it feels like we're getting about this town too, this very rich kind of sweeping of the town so that we get all of the very small specifics, um, but we get those small specifics in every single scene that we get as well. Um, and so together it's it builds this yeah, this rich like tapestry, this this rich kind of portrait of this place. Yeah, I think tapestry is a real uh, is an is an excellent term to use when talking about it. I was saying before in in our conversation that I don't feel like this is a painting, and I, I think it's because it's kind of live. And, and talking about it as a tapestry rather gives us more of a sense, the uh, a tactile sense of how the language feels as we're encountering it. And this is uh, this is really accentuated. I think there's a there's a definite tone here, and it's an interesting thing to be talking about the richness of the language, its tactility, and there's a kind of lushness to how detailed and descriptive it is, without ever sacrificing our our kind of visceral interest in in the characters that we get and the scenes that are drawn out for us. Yeah, lushness sounds like a great word for for describing this. Which is wild because if you're thinking about something lush, you're thinking about green and flowers and kind of, you know, maybe the tropics. This is not the tropics. In fact, <laughs> uh, we were speculating earlier uh, whether or not the 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 title of the piece, 47834, is an actual zip code. Um, a quick Google search yields uh, Brazil, Indiana, um, which would go with the barn that is used to such kind of stunning effect to talk about that at, at a certain point in the life of a barn, it becomes just a metaphor with a roof. Oh, I love that line. Yeah, so good. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I love that line. And, you know, when you're talking about language in this way as we are, you might think that anything extra, anything more would, uh, would put it kind of over the top, but it's, it's accompanied by a spare guitar that I think just accentuates the tone. It doesn't, it doesn't kind of deviate and it doesn't kind of, it doesn't get loose and take the center stage ever. It's, it's just kind of perfectly wet again, perfectly wedded to the material. Yeah. I think that's a really important point, especially, um, especially for audible um audio poems um or really any audio pieces is being able to put it to music that the music then also is something is is another kind of element in the poem and that's what it feels like here too that it's adding that understanding it's adding that tone it's adding so much to the piece without ever 
overtaking it, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that that's really much more difficult than I think, um, than I think even I think, you know, um, think about it. And so it's really a testament to, to how that audio is being incorporated into the poem instead of something that is added on later or, or things like that, because sometimes audio can, can take the center stage or it can um, maybe contradict um, what we're getting in a piece. And this is definitely an example where, you know, it's just done so well. The two, the two elements are just the, the narrative, the narrator going through this, this reading us this poem, as well as the audio, they're just, they're working together very well. It has the same quality as the language in that it's serving a greater purpose. And the music here really serves. And I think that that gets at kind of some of the difficulty that you're talking about. It's even hard for us to kind of like comprehend when you're trying to, uh, when you're trying to craft an audio piece that has musical accompaniment. It's something that we've seen in other pieces as well. And we're always, always thrilled to see people manage to do that so we can't stop talking about this without talking about some of the characters that we get these characters are just i just my my simple brain um needs to find you know synonymous work uh in order to first start understanding things and it, it really put me in mind of certain uh pieces by tom waits where there's a minimalist kind of musical accompaniment to maybe a prose narrative. Um, it is not that it's not a Tom Waits. Um, it's not a Tom Waits even esque piece. It just kind of, it falls into the category of a certain amount of expertise at drawing uh, a place. And we talked to two about it is a specific place, but it also has a feeling of placelessness. Like the place could be anywhere. And there are certain elements that, that suggest, oh, Midwest, or, or there are certain elements that might conjure up images of the West uh, as well. But it could be just any midsize or smaller town that has a history that just piles up. Uh, I was, you know, you're compelled by the, the one-armed butcher, I mean, just, just from the jump, um, who drinks at night from a bone cup. And I was really compelled to by the, the local beauty queen who sharpened her knives on her sash. And that, that, that very thing drives boys and you know, her own age into rivers and grown men to slashing each other's tires. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something there uh, that speaks to just how well done this piece is that any more explanation would have killed that. Yeah. You've got all you need, and now we're on to the next character. And every character that emerges becomes another, you know, vibrant or kind of compelling spot in this tapestry that just keeps growing right in front of us. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely right. I had the same thought of we get we get just enough and just specific enough information, and then we and then we move on. Um, and, and we meet somebody else. And I, um, I was actually really drawn to um, the character who sits in the diner and over and eavesdrops and overhears 
all the different conversations, one of which um, is between a stranger and the person who was driven out of this very small town who were, who were sitting at the end of the bar. And, and yeah, the, and again, that just, it gives us such a fuller picture that we want to say, this is a specific place. This is a definitely a place mm -hmm. that, that is, that is real. It's not, um, it's not just a conjured up thought, but then we don't know exactly where it is. And, and those, and you were saying earlier when we were talking about it, um, place and also placelessness. And I thought that was um, very, very appropriate because yeah, we get, we get the characters and we meet them and we get to understand them and we understand a place that has more cemeteries than banks mm -hmm. and all of these feel so so very specific but then also can be can be placed in in, in many different places so there's also something going on and maybe here's where we'll kind of close um with our our constant rejoinder to go listen to the piece again but <laughs> For me, there's something really brilliant happening in that moment that you mentioned about the, the speaker uh, eavesdropping. I mean, in every dark corner, right? In every, in every shadow. And it's, so it's not just the conversation that uh, the speaker's overhearing, but that which it refracts back for me through the whole piece to the, these things that count as a certain kind of eavesdropping by trans by transferring them in language the speaker has essentially eavesdropped on the whole town uh, mm -hmm. and 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 managed uh, a tapestry in words accompanied by music that like that make it really live for us mm -hmm. but I also think that the there's a secondary brilliant move that happens there where the the speaker is saying how much, the speaker yearns to hear something unfamiliar. And right. I feel like that really, that's a really underplayed and kind of subtle, I don't want to call it a commentary, but, it, I, but perhaps it's better to call it an insight into what this piece has actually been. Because we feel utterly kind of familiarized to this and the language and its richness and its its specificity is also unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And it's you know it's it's enough to as you as you as the piece approaches its ending and finds that to be the ending. It just feels brilliant. It just feels like a brilliant way to close. Because one of the dangers of a, of a litany as well, when you get the character after character after character, is that like, where do you stop? Right, exactly. The implications of the cemeteries and, and the churches and the liquor stores, or, or the bars rather, is a, a source of more or less, if not endless, than just kind of an overwhelming number of people that could be just as well described. But it just really finds a way uh, to, to finish. And it's just so, so impressive. Yeah. And I think that's a skill that, um, that, that is really highlighted here. A skill that Beatty is, um, is definitely, you know, definitely excelling at here because we've also commented on how, you know, the, the richness of the language is just the right level. And, um, and the characters are described with just enough detail, but, um, but doesn't ever exceed that. And so 
it it seems that that this is a this is a piece that's really showcasing that skill of how of knowing how far to go and then when to and then when to stop and move on. Yes, well said. And with that, I think we've come to the end of the work that we can do here. <laughs> and I will say, go back and listen again and just thrill in the in the rich visual and visceral tapestry that is 47834. Thanks for listening to us and thanks for listening to Brian Beatty's poem. We'll see you next time. Or we'll we'll You'll be, you'll be heard, you'll be heard by us (laughs) next time and it'll be soon. All right. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Yes. Wave, wave, wave. Wave. Thanks for being here with us for Miller Oddcast 32, featuring Brian Beatty's poem 47834. Oddcast 33 is on its way, so stay alert. Thanks as always to the Missouri Review Contest editor, Bailey Boyd and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. Finally, DMR is open for submissions year-round, and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Subscribe, or submit your work today. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.